With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, when the Sabres were struggling, I think everybody, including the social media manager, just mailed it in. It's like, yeah, they're bad again. It's funny, I say we're struggling like we're not anymore. (laughs) Hey, they have a brighter future. At least they're further along in their bright future than the Suns are. So there's a lot to... uh... A lot to be looking forward to, I think, for, for Sabres fans. You could insert that any time since 2012. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started here. Gentlemen, welcome to episode five of the Beyond the Blade Around the Atlantic miniseries. This week, we have a very special guest here to talk to us about the Ottawa Senators. She is the co-host of That's What She Said on TSN 1200. Her work has been featured in Silver 7 Sens, Ice Garden, and ESPNW. We have Michaela Schreider. Michaela, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Not too bad. Season's right around the corner. And, you know, for in terms of comparing them around the Atlantic Division, the Ottawa Senators have had at least an interesting offseason, I would say. Interesting is a good, good way to put it, for sure. I mean, uh, compared to last year's offseason in, in training camp, it felt like there was nowhere to go but up. Uh, so I think <laughs> by comparison, it was, it was certainly an improvement. Sure, sure. So let's, let's start with the offseason additions, transactions, etc., so in terms of UFA signings, they brought in Ron Hainsey on a one-year $3.5 million deal. They also brought in former Sabre, Tyler Ennis, on a one-year $800,000 contract. They brought back Christian Wolainen. They brought back Thomas Chabot, which we'll get to in a minute. We'll save that for later here. But let's talk about the trades, because I think that's probably the most prominent thing, aside from the Chabot extension that, that kind of happened for the Sens this summer. On July 1st, they traded... Cody Cece, Ben Harper, and Aaron Luchuk, and a third-round pick for Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Brown, and Michael Sarconi. That's that's the biggest trade of the three that they made this summer. I want to get your thoughts on that one. Who won? Who lost? Are you happy with the trade? I think this trade overall is one that both teams needed, and for very different reasons, right? Okay. The Toronto Leafs needed to walk away from Nikita Zaitsev. The Ottawa Senators needed to walk away from Cody Cece. So mm-hmm. they they both got rid of a player that they needed to. Uh, the, the Ottawa Senators were also able to save a little cash, but also eat more cap. And the Leafs were able to do the reverse. Like these are two teams that are absolutely trending in the opposite dire- direction. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just looking at Cody Cece in particular, who I think from a Sens perspective is the biggest player of, of this trade. Um, it was time for a change of scenery for Cody and, and, you know, with all due respect to Cody Cece, I have nothing against the guy, but his expectations versus his reality in Ottawa just never quite lined up. He, mm. he, his first game uh, in the NHL, he scored an overtime winner, and it was like from there 
no one expected anything but greatness from this guy and he just <laughs> didn't live up to it and he was he was in, in in all fairness to him he was used at a rate that was just not fair right he was eating up 24 minutes a night specifically after Carlson got traded and he's he's not the caliber of defenseman who can occupy that amount of ice time uh, specifically for a team that was as bad as the Ottawa Senators. So he got left out to dry a lot. And uh, he was the whipping boy for this this fan base because it, it was so often he was making mistakes that were just glaring and often led to goals or, or uh, huge opportunities for the other team. And he would take a lot of criticism from the fan base. So I think it was time for a change of scenery for him. Hopefully he can go and, and have a, a lesser role in the Toronto Maple Leafs, but one that he maybe fits into a little better. And, you know, I, I do hope that he still has a career uh, ahead of him because he seems like a great guy. I've got nothing against him. Um, and then in terms of bringing in, you know, looking at Nikita Zaitsev uh, mostly, I think you could probably make the argument that maybe he was in need of a change of scenery as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and really looking at the Sens roster right now, there's so there's still so many questions and things up in the air and they are still in a rebuild so it it's more than likely that many of the players brought in this trade may not be here long term but I think that you know while you're while you need to fill roster spots during a rebuild Nikita Zaitsev may may fit very well into into that spot you know when you were just talking about Cody CC, the the four or five sentences he just had on him, how he was played in a role that was kind of, you know, over his ballywick, so to speak, especially after Carlson was gone. He became a whipping boy on the back end. That is, it, it sounds like to a T what Sabres fans are going through right now with Rasmus Ristolainen. I know Ristolainen is a little bit probably more talented of a player, obviously higher offensive output. However, that's the exact situation where, He's been eating up 28, 27, you know, he, he, I think over the last three years, he's the third uh, highest time on ice defenseman in the league behind Duncan Keith. And I want to say, I forget who the other one is, but Drew Doughty maybe, but it it just, it sounded like such a similar situation. And like you said, a change of scenery where his role is diminished might be exactly what he needed. So that, uh, that really resonated with me as for the other two trades that the senators made. First one was with Chicago on July 16th. They received Artem Anisimov for Zach Smith straight up. And then on July 30th, they traded Mike Condon, who I'm a big fan of because two or three years ago, he saved my fantasy team during the playoffs. <laughs> and <laughs> Condon and a sixth to Tampa Bay for Ryan Callahan and a fifth. And Ryan Callahan is a player who's actually from Western New York. And a lot of Sabres fans thought that in a potential blockbuster deal where we'd send Ristolainen to Tampa, because what great team doesn't need an analytically terrible defenseman, <laughs> that Callahan would be coming back as a cap dump in that deal. He obviously went to Ottawa. Give me your thoughts on those two trades. Obviously, they're rebuild trades, but how do you think it sets Ottawa up for this coming season? Yeah, I think you, you put it very well in that. They're both rebuild trades because both of them served a cap-related purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, trading away Zach Smith and bringing in Artem, Artem Anisimov uh, saved the Sens a little bit of cash, but allowed them to eat up a little more cap space so that they could get to the floor. Um, I do think the Sens have a little bit of an upside with Artem Anisimov, and, and by little bit, I mean like little bit. Uh, <laughs> he's likely going to be, uh, who knows what role he'll play in a, in a rebuilding team. There's always roster spots available, um, but he's likely going to fill a bottom center role. But he has shown in the past that he can play with very, very talented wingers such as Patrick Kane. And the Ottawa Senators have a very, very talented at times winger named Bobby Ryan, who sometimes has trouble uh, you know, generating chemistry with certain players. So, you know, maybe there's a potential there for Anisimov to actually serve uh, a pretty good role in this team. The Callahan deal, that was ab- about as cap era of a trade as I've ever seen the Sens make, because obviously <laughs> he's not going to play. He's working for the NHL network, we learned today. <laughs> um, and he's, he's simply eating up uh, uh, some cap space for the team. So I thought I thought that was a really prime example of, the kind of deals we see in this cap era and to the Sens credit, you know, they, they haven't often made such blatant uh, cap related moves before. Like they're, they're known for making moves that save them mm-hmm. money. Um, but I, at least from, from my recollection, I don't think I've ever seen them bring on a player who they knew full well was not going to play. Like they literally <laughs> just traded for a contract, right. Which I thought was, was pretty, you know, telling of the times we're in, but also telling of, of where this team is. 
Hashtag tanking. You got to love it. There we go. <laughs> but you no, know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, uh, I think it was two seasons ago, maybe it was three, even, uh, John Chaka trading for Henrik Zetterberg's contract. Yeah, or no, exactly. I'm sorry. Was it, was it Zetterberg or Datsyuk? Oh, it was Datsyuk. It was Datsyuk. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. And, and knowing full well he wasn't going to play for them, just get to that cap floor, baby. Gotta yeah. love it. <laughs> so we, we touched on it briefly and we talked a little bit about it before the show. Thomas Shabbat. Not only is this a fantastic deal, I felt, for the Senators, eight years, $8 million average annual value, the Ottawa Senators social media team did a phenomenal job photoshopping his head over the gif of Tobey Maguire in maybe the second or third Spider-Man movie, doing that weird kind of dance through the streets he did. Talk to me about that deal. You don't have to go into Tobey Maguire. We don't have to talk about him today. That's not what we're here for. Let me know what you think about the Shabbat deal and kind of how it sets up the Senators for – he's kind of their franchise piece right now, would you say? Oh, absolutely. And, and first of all, shout out to Craig Medaglia of the Send social media team for that video because you're right, it was hilarious. Um, this, the signing of Thomas Shabbat, you know, putting aside the term and the value for one second, this was a symbolic signing more than anything else because for the last year and a half, uh, there's been this huge disconnect between Sen's management, the organization, and fans – as they've watched Eric Carlson and Mark Stone get traded, you know, these franchise marquee players get traded. There's been a lot of distrust and and concern among the fans that, you mm-hmm. know, even though this team is rebuilding, are you going to be able to sign those, those big players, the Thomas Shabbats, the Brady Kachucks, the Colin Whites, who you're touting as the, the, you know, pieces of the future, are you going to be able to sign them when, when it matters, when, when, uh, you know, they start making, you know, they're the most amount of money they're going to be making, essentially. Are you going to be able to lock them up long term? They signed Colin White a little earlier uh, before training camp. But the big question was Thomas Shabbat, because you're right, he is the franchise player. I think you're probably looking at either him or Brady Kachuk as the captain in the future. But right now, he's he's what you're building your team around. And the fact that they were able to lock him up and, and lock him up for a solid term, eight years, add to that the fact that it's a really, really fair deal. This this meant a lot to, to the fan base. And I, and I don't think it's necessarily wiped out what's happened in the last 18 months. But the the tone that I've seen among the fan base, it all, it changed almost the moment that signing was announced. Because all of a sudden, you know, the management weren't just saying they're rebuilding and trust us and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. They were putting words into action and they were actually signing these players who they've been touting as the you know the players of the future. So I think that really meant a lot to fans in terms of rebuilding their trust with the organization. And then, like I said, it's also a great deal. Like it, it reminds me a lot of, ironically, the Eric Carlson contract that he signed in 2012. I believe mm. it was seven years and 6.5 million per. At the time, that was a very fair deal for Eric Carlson. He had just won the Norris Trophy. I think that Thomas Shabbat is an absolute star defenseman. And to have him locked up for eight years at a very fair price means a lot to this fan base and this team. Yeah, absolutely. I I know, you know, in Sabre circles, as I'm sure it was kind of similar across the league, a lot of people were expecting an overpay exclusively kind of because of where Ottawa stands as an organization. So seeing them able to hammer out that deal with a guy who clearly wants to be there, you know, wanted to be with the organization, that, that's a great step in the right direction. You're, you're 100% right. And that's, to add to that a little bit, that, mm-hmm. that's also very important because Ottawa, you know, we often have a bit of an inferiority complex in the city. and, and Buffalo would know nothing about that. Yeah, I figured you, you may relate to this a little bit. but Toronto's uh, little brother. Exactly. Right. You know, we're, we're constantly kind of caught behind the shadow of the Toronto Maple Leafs to the Montreal Canadians. And we're, we, we often feel like this undesirable destination for, for big name players. And of course, I mean, I could go through the list of stars the Ottawa Senators have watched walk away in various situations over the years, but you probably don't have that much time on your podcast. <laughs> um, and to have someone sign a very fair market deal in, in a sign that they want to be here long-term like that means so much to this fan base Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i mean you know sabers fans uh, very similar situation right where depends on which way the sun is shining but us and ottawa are both kind of in that shadow of toronto and yeah not as as much montreal on our end you know but toronto mostly just because of the proximity and then 
you know, you, you get the people who are like, oh, can you see the Statue of Liberty from where you live? It's like, no, <laughs> not at all. It's an eight hour. It's like, I had a guy, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I was 18 years old working at a restaurant in, in Amherst, New York, which is a suburb of Buffalo. And this guy came in, he was, uh, he was from Canada and he goes, yeah, I think he was from Western Canada, maybe Vancouver, I want to say. And he goes, hey, you know, I'd like to take a day trip to, Van- to uh, New York City while I'm here. How would I go about doing that? I'm like, well, you wouldn't because it's eight hours away. So unless you're hopping on a plane, it'd be pretty tough to do a day trip to New York City from here. Uh, <laughs> it's like unaware people, of the geography. When people come to Canada, they'll come visit like Ottawa or something and they'll want to go to Niagara Falls just you know, <laughs> similarly for the day. I'm like, it's a little bit of a drive. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we've we've touched on it a little bit and we've, we've alluded to it a whole lot. It's been a rough road for Ottawa ever since their kind of Cinderella unlikely run to the conference finals in 2016-17, right? The Senators and Sabres have, have kind of been what I like to call siblings in suffering at the bottom of the Atlantic Division. The, the big difference here, though, is that the Sabres have had the benefit of picking in the top two on three occasions since their last, last playoff appearance, which was in 2011. The Senators have not had that same luxury. So over the next two years, though, Ottawa's got eight picks in the first two rounds of the draft, two firsts and six seconds. With all of those assets now in hand, are, are, is the organization finally able to take a real crack at this rebuild and, and maybe even expedite it a little bit? Well, to be honest, so knock on wood, I feel like in terms of the on the ice situation anyway, the worst may be over for the Ottawa Senators in that okay. last year, it was about as low as you could get, right? They mm-hmm. they started training camp by trading away probably the best defenseman to ever play in the organization, maybe even in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, they traded away another franchise player in Mark Stone later on. And now, you know, fast forward a year later, at the beginning of training camp, they signed a a potential franchise player in in Thomas Shabbat. And, you know, last year with as bad as they were, they didn't have their own first round pick. And that made it all the, you know, more nerve wracking to see where Colorado was going to end up picking. But this year they do have their own first round pick. In fact, they have two first round picks. Um, So, you know, on on the ice, I think the Ottawa centers are probably going to be a bad team again this year. They're probably going to finish in a lottery uh, position, Mm -hmm. but at least they own that pick, right? You have that to look forward to they have the key players that they're going to build around in this rebuild the Thomas Shabbat's the Brady Kachuk's uh the the Colin White's and then you know you look further down their prospect list there's a lot of young players with potentially very bright futures with Eric Brandstrom Logan Brown Drake Batherson Philip Gustafson there's a lot to look forward to with the Ottawa Senators and it feels like again knock on wood and I'm only talking about the on the ice situation, but it feels like the worst may be over and they can start to actually move forward with this rebuild in, in a more tangible way. Sure, sure. And, you know, you, you mentioned it just now. The, the big, I think, difference between the Sabres, quote unquote, official tank season, right? And Ottawa's kind of almost unintentional tank last year was that the Sabres had Jack Eichel to look forward to at, at minimum, right? At the end of the season before that lottery the senators didn't have their lottery pick and like that just had to be soul crushing as a supporter of the team you know knowing like man we just went through this probably the worst season in franchise history and we're not gonna have anything to show for really uh at least not in in the sense of of a of a top flight prospect so yeah no you you bring up a great point they've got their picks now and they do seem primed to finally be able to you know take a real crack at, at the rebuild rather than just kind of flounder for a season I'm going to go out of order here a little bit because this kind of segues into, you know, uh, one of our points here. Despite their struggles, the Senators actually have a few really exciting young guys on the farm, uh, a couple of which who have already graduated at the big big club, easy for me to say, in Brady Kachuk and Colin White. You've got Eric Branstrom, who you brought in around the trade deadline last year. Guys like Drake Drake Batherson and Logan Brown are, are developing through the system. Talk to me a little bit about which of those guys coming through the system has you most excited for next season and beyond. Well, I think each of these players, especially if you look at the season alone, they're really exciting kind of in different ways. And, you know, looking at Brady Kachuk, he was the silver lining of last year. I mentioned mm-hmm. how, how difficult it was to be a Sens fan last year, but seeing Brady Kachuk come in and, and do as well as he did and show the, you know, the lovely personality that all Sens fans have fallen deeply in love with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really was like a, a bright spot on an otherwise very gloomy season. So, you know, how does he build on that this year and what kind of leadership role could he 
potentially mold into. And he really is one of the marquee players that the Sens are likely to build around going forward. So it's, it's going to be very exciting to watch him continue to develop into whatever player he's going to be in the NHL. And, and in league circles, he wasn't a popular pick. Like he, no. they thought that a lot of people thought they reached for him. Yeah, the Sens fans were very upset that they didn't take Philip Zadina instead mm-hmm. of Kachuk. And then I think like 11 games into the season, that quickly evaporated. And I don't think right. I've heard Philip Zadina's name since then. <laughs> <laughs> so he he very much, you know, turned things around in terms of uh, uh, public opinion uh, from Sens fans. And Colin White, you know, many feel is still trying, they're still trying to determine exactly what kind of player he's going to be 41 points last season on a very bad team but you know that was his first real quote-unquote full year in the NHL and and I think a lot of fans are really looking forward to seeing what what he turns into because I think he he still has a pretty high upside and uh, a potential to be like you know the number one center going forward down the road for Mm -hmm. this team so it's it's very exciting to see what what he how he continues to develop and then Eric Branstrom, I mean, he, he he was brought over in the Mark Stone trade. And, and while a lot of fans were obviously not happy to see Mark Stone go, the minute they heard Eric Branstrom's name, it was like, oh, well, okay. Um, you know, he's got all, a huge potential for the future. I don't know. He's going to get a good look at the beginning of the season. He's still with training camp and with injuries to Christian Wallanen and Max Lajoie getting sent down to Belleville. There's certainly an opportunity for Branstrom to get a good look at the NHL level. I don't know that they'll want to rush him. Uh, they'll probably send him back to Belleville after the nine games or whatever it is that he has. But but that's a player that a lot of fans are going to keep a very close eye on going forward. And then, yeah, Logan Brown, uh, I, I'd say he's he's certainly carving a path for himself to be a top-line center. But it's it this is a very, very pivotal year for him because he's mm. going to hopefully get a chance to play more at the NHL level. He, he Played the bulk of his games in Belleville last year, 42 points in 56 games, a lot of potential there. Um, and then same with Drake Batherson. You know, these are two players who are likely going to see a lot more NHL time this year. And it's it's really exciting to see like what what comes of that. And then you never know with prospects like this, right? It can go either way. But when you know the most exciting part is when you don't know. And that's kind of where we are right. right now. So I think uh, there's a lot to look forward to, uh, despite you know the the unknown of the future for these young players. Fun fact about Colin White, and he's a little bit of a sore spot for some Sabres fans still. He is a result of the Robin Leonard trade, where we intelligently gave our 21st overall pick to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for a goalie who left in two seasons and didn't play well for us and then went on to win the (laughs) Masterson or something. He played really well. Let's leave it at that for Barry Trotz last season, and Sabres fans were definitely not at all salty about it. No, of course not. (laughs) We are going to take a quick 30-second break. This is Michaela Schreider. She's talking to us about the Ottawa Senators. Do not go away. Welcome back, Sabres fans. We are here with Michaela Schreider from That's What She Said on TSN 1200. She's talking to us today about the Ottawa Senators, and we're going to kind of go in here to an acquisition we didn't really talk about in the beginning, but it's one of their bigger acquisitions of the offseason. The Senators brought in DJ Smith, and a little fun fact about him While he was serving as an assistant with the Maple Leafs, the NHLPA held a vote among active players asking them which assistant coach they felt would make the best head coach in the future. DJ Smith won that poll by a landslide. I believe he collected 39% of the votes. How do you feel, Michaela, about Smith leading the Sens out of this current organizational funk that they're in? Your dog obviously loves it. He's a huge DJ Smith fan. I'm sorry if you Smith can fan. hear my dog. <laughs> I love it. No, I, 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 I like getting a variety of opinions, canine and human alike. Yeah, yeah. my dog is very, very <laughs> passionate about DJ Smith, uh, and I'll echo his thoughts. I, I, I think what this team needed uh, was a fresh set of eyes, right? Mm-hmm. That, like I, we talked a lot about the struggles last year. Um, I think someone who had very much outworn their welcome and also can't kind of became a bit of a whipping boy for the Ottawa Senators was Guy Boucher. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was needed was, was a fresh set of eyes, fresh leadership. And you're certainly getting that in DJ Smith. He's coming from a completely different organization, but one that also went through a, a pretty well orchestrated rebuild very mm-hmm. recently. 
and he coached under some, you know, pretty experienced and, you know, respected uh, coaching staff and, uh, you know, Mike Babcock, no big deal. He's okay. Um, He's all right. Uh, but he, you know, he's got some experience and he seems to have the respect of the players who he coaches. And, you know, even in the, the preseason when they were playing the Toronto Maple Leafs, he was chatting with some of his former team, uh, his former players, sorry. And you could tell that they really wanted, they were really looking forward to talking to him. And you can just, you can always tell when players look at their coaches as not just coaches, but friends as well. And you got that vibe with DJ Smith. So I think that that's really encouraging for a young team like the Ottawa Senators as more of these young players come up through the system. You want a coach that's going to, you know, let them get the reps in that they need to develop, but also teach them along the way because they're going to make mistakes. And that's the whole point of developing. And this is the time to make mistakes because no one expects you to be good. Mm-hmm. So I think DJ Smith really seems to me, and, and again, like you never know with coaches and um, coaches seem to have a very short shelf life here in Ottawa. So who knows? But, but I think that in terms of his, his resume coming in, if you were going to bring in a, a coach who had never really been a head coach at the NHL level, I was pretty happy with the DJ Smith uh, decision. I think one thing we didn't see with Guy Boucher was, was him actually playing the young players and, and letting them go through the reps and letting them mm. make mistakes. And DJ Smith strikes me as someone who's going to be the opposite of that philosophy. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, that's something that's very much needed here in Ottawa. Yeah, DJ Smith, when the Sabres were looking for a new coach this offseason, he was my second choice for the team uh, behind – my boy, Ricard Gromberg, who went to coach the ZSC Lions. It's a shame. Um, <laughs> but, and a lot of that was because I, I didn't think Ralph Kruger was even a remote possibility uh, to, to leave the EPL. But I, I, like, I like Smith for the same reasons that, that you just kind of outlined. I think he's the type of coach who is going to play those younger guys. And, and similar to Ottawa in Buffalo, that was somewhat of an issue last season where we thought there were quite a few guys in Rochester who – deserved a little bit more of a look than they got. And whether that was Jason Botterill's decision or Phil Housley's, we don't really know for sure. But yeah, DJ Smith seems like a player's coach, a young player's coach. And I, I think he's perfect for Ottawa. And uh, one interesting thing that uh, our, our nightmare didn't happen. We did get Ralph Kruger, but uh, our nightmare of Jacques Martin did not come to fruition because there was a rumor there for man, like a month, it was just kind of like omnipresent that Jacques Martin was very much in the conversation for the Sabres head coaching gig. And I think we we're all very relieved that that did not happen. It's funny you say that because the, the same rumor at one point was kind of circling around mm-hmm. the Ottawa Senators. In fact, I think he interviewed he did, for the yeah. head coaching job. And uh, th- there, was a lot, there were a lot of Sens fans who were very, very happy at the prospect of Jacques Martin coming back. I guess it was some sort of nostalgia yes. from uh, the, you know, the, the years of uh, the yesteryears. But I, you know, with all due respect to Jacques Martin, I think that he definitely wouldn't have been the coach to, to come in and lead this young team. I think they made the right decision with DJ Smith, but it's funny how the two fan bases just had polar opposite reactions to that. Right. Well, we're drawing a lot of parallels here and literally the same exact thing. We inter- the Sabres interviewed Lindy Roth this time around again to come back. And Sabres fans were all for it. And it was like, but why? (laughs) I know he was the coach the last time they made the playoffs in 2011. However, don't you think maybe in the last eight years he'd have got another look? You know what I mean? Like, do we need to recreate the past? I think fan bases who have just dealt with perpetual losing and suffering just like cling to that nostalgia so hard. And man, we just keep drawing parallels between our two struggling franchises here oh it's true this is a bit of a support group for struggling atlantic teams yes join anthony chandra and michaela schreider for our therapy (laughs) session on struggling teams oh well the sabers added a couple guys this offseason who are former senators and they were actually pretty prominent guys during that 16-17 eastern conference final run in Andrew Hammond, the Hamburglar, who is probably going to be the de facto starter in Rochester this year, and Curtis Lazar, who I will say, through preseason action, he is really making himself hard to send down. He is fighting hard and, and really earning a role on the fourth line in Buffalo. What can you tell us about those two guys from their time in the Senators organization? 
Well, Andrew Hammond, of course, uh, everyone knows him as the Hamburglar. Of course, he mm-hmm. went on that uh, crazy good run to close out the 2015 season to help take the Sens from 14 points out of a playoff spot to actually being in the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, which was probably, you know, aside from the 2017 Eastern Conference final run, that was one of the most exciting times to be a Sens fan in recent memory that I have, sure. uh, just in the completely improbable uh, run that they went on. And he was such a huge part of that. It, no one could get anything by him. He, he, it was unbelievable. He even, you know, you, you mentioned the Robin Leonard trade earlier, but he is responsible for the Robin Leonard trade from Ottawa because he changed the trajectory of this team's goaltending uh, mm-hmm. future where they were going to go with Robin Leonard. You know, he was the goalie of the future. Andrew Hammond comes in, has this unbelievable run. Next thing you know, Robin Leonard is, uh, is out of town and, you know, He never really, Andrew Hammond never rekindled that. It was a very, very uh, short burning uh, flicker of of, uh, candlelight, if you will. Mm -hmm. But it was still, you know, it was a lot of fun for fans. I don't think anybody would trade that run, the hamburger run for anything. And then if you, you know, if you look at the the player who was eating the hamburgers that were being thrown onto the (laughs) ice during the hamburger run, that was Curtis Lazar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, you know, Curtis Lazar is someone who I really hope, you know, you mentioned he's, he's playing really well in the preseason. I hope that he gets a spot on this team. I hope he has a bright NHL future because he is probably one of the most mature and well-spoken young men I've ever seen come into this organization. Hmm. When he was, I don't think it was 18 or 19 when he first got drafted during the rookie camps, I was listening to interviews with him and, I, and it sounded like a 32-year-old man talking to me, <laughs> just so mature and so he, he didn't give your typical hockey player answers. He had personality and he was just a pleasure to listen to. And, you know, he, he is someone who I think maybe suffered a bit at the hands of Sens management, not developing, developing him properly because he probably needed more AHL time than he got. And because he started off a little bit exciting to watch next thing, you know, he was just up in the NHL, the, you know, permanently, there was no going back. And I think that hurt his development big time. So I hope that he's able to turn things around. I know it hasn't been the easiest couple of years for him. And uh, if, if he does get a spot on the team, I think you guys are very lucky to be able to watch him. And uh, I hope that he does great things for Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Lazar, it's funny because I don't know if he's got enough of a tracker to have a highlight reel. So every time they've mentioned him on the broadcast so far on MSG, the clip they show is him eating the hamburger off the ice. It's like, oh, this is his most iconic moment. <laughs> it it truly was iconic. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And he, it's funny, too, because he was one of those guys when Tim Murray was our GM who he just kept being rumored here because he was apparently, uh, you know, Murray was the guy who scouted him, really loved him in Ottawa. And it seemed like every trade rumor circled around Ottawa, understandably so, since his uncle was the general manager. But Curtis Lazar's name is, is very familiar to Sabres fans for that reason. So it's kind of interesting how it all worked out. Murray's gone, and now we've brought in Lazar finally. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's doing everything to earn himself a role on that fourth line. Zemgis Gergensen's continues to be uninspiring, and he's on a pretty manageable contract. So it would not surprise me at all to see Lazar take his spot. I think it'd be a great kind of re- resurgent story for Curtis Lazar. Again, he's a guy that you want to root for just because he's so – he's so lovable just personality wise. And I know he hasn't had the the greatest career Mm -hmm. so far. Like you said, his highlight reel is literally eating a burger off the ground, but (laughs) he he just, he's a guy you want to see do well. And even if it's on the fourth line, I just, I just hope he has somewhat of an NHL career going forward. And, you know, credit to Tim Murray. He was always say what you will about him as a GM. He was always a great scout here in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, you know, some of the best players that have come through this organization, especially at lower round picks, uh, were the result of Tim Murray scouting. So, um, I, you know, there's, there's a reason he picked him and, and, uh, who knows, maybe things aren't quite over for Curtis Lazar yet. Maybe, maybe, you know, Buffalo has been known as the land of opportunity. That's, (laughs) that's a lie, but, (laughs) or where careers go to die. One of those two, I can't remember, but, uh, what I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you here because it's someone I, I didn't, uh, think about initially, but he's, he's one of my Kind of, we're talking about resurgent stories right now, and it kind of reminded me of a guy who got to Ottawa and, and really, man, started to rekindle the skill level that perhaps fans thought he wasn't ever going to reach again, or maybe a potential he was never going to reach again. And Anthony Duclair, 
talk to me a little bit about him because you know he came to Ottawa during a really bad year and, and really made the best of it. Oh, absolutely. Anthony Duclair was a really, really exciting addition to the Ottawa Senators. And I know that a lot of people were probably very shocked to hear that uh, uh, John Tortorella being one of them, (laughs) but it seemed that every team had just written this guy off Mm -hmm. and this was his last chance at an NHL uh, spot. And he went to the worst team in the league and it, it just looked awful, but he played really well. And even so far in the preseason, he's looked really, really good. Um, he, he, there was a lot of rumors and, uh, speculation about his work ethic coming into Ottawa. That was the one knock on him from most coaches was that he didn't have a very good work ethic. And from what I'm hearing in this training camp in this preseason, that couldn't be farther from the truth. He's, he's come in ready for the season. He's come in willing to, to work his butt off and he's, he's shown that so far. So that's, uh, yeah, he, that's another player I really, I hope turns things around because he, he doesn't seem to deserve the criticism that he's received so far. Just, you know, everyone knows that John Tortorella is notoriously difficult to please. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Duclair just unfortunately didn't fit into the mold that Torts had deemed uh, you know, a, a su- successful NHL player. And I think that Duclair deserves a, a, a another shot at this. He's, he's never, at least in my time watching him in Ottawa, I've never seen anything but but potential from this kid so yeah I, I really hope that's someone who we see more of here in Ottawa yeah absolutely I mean he he was a guy coming out of the draft who I really wanted the Sabres to, to, to you know obtain he had a rough run to start but like you said I mean he really has resurrected his career under some really tough circumstances so credit to him and I think Sabres fans were all a little bit bummed that he ended up re-signing because he was a guy we had our eye on and as I'm sure did the other 29 franchises, 30 mm-hmm. franchises in the league. But uh, it would not be an Ottawa Senators podcast if we didn't talk about their eccentric owner, Mr. Eugene Melnick. Is, have you that ever is looked very at, correct. It wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever looked at his Wikipedia page? It's, you know what? I don't know that I have. It's fascinating. Do yourself a favor. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, just some footnotes, like he's out of Barbados. Like he, it, it's not really clear how he made his money. He's, he's just a really strange duck. So one of my favorite quotes from him is the oddly placed McDonald's quote. I'm going to say it verbatim here just because it blew my mind. He was asked about moving the Ottawa senators essentially. And he said, quote, it just won't happen. It's a franchise. Imagine if you own a McDonald's franchise, but you can move it. Why would you sell it? It's something that's very difficult to buy. Senators uh, fans yes. took that a lot of ways. <laughs> so let, let's let's talk about him because he he's seems to be kind of the driving source who who's complicated the whole LeBreton Heights deal. He just seems to be the fly in the ointment so often, both with the Senators and league wide. Talk to me a little bit about Mr. Melvick. Oh, where do I begin? Uh, <laughs> it, uh, you know, earlier when I said it seems that things are looking up and the worst is over, I, I emphasized on the ice because it just seems that with everything involving Eugene Melnick off the ice, it, it the last little while in particular has been, just been chaos, right? And it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. And, um, you know, there, there's certainly never a dull moment with him. I'll, I'll say that, but, uh, in terms of off the ice, he certainly has been involved in a lot of the chaos that this team has seen. You know, he made those, those infamous McDonald's comments right before the Sens had their first alumni game, which is mm-hmm. supposed to be this huge, you know, lovely moment for, for the franchise. And, and, uh, you know, I was, I was at the game and it was freezing, but it was on right in front of Parliament Hill. The snow was gently falling this fan base had re- uh, forgiven Alexi Yashin and all was right with the world. <laughs> and then Melnick talks to TSN and, and says what he said. And, and next thing you know, the next day, we're not talking about this incredible game that we got to witness. We're talking about these comments. And it, that to me kind of sparked the downfall that we then saw, um, at least in terms of the, the rumors and speculation and, and off ice problems that this team had, that was the start of it. And of course, Eugene Melnick was right there at the forefront. And then days before they traded Eric Carlson, he made that really weird video with Mark Borbieski where he said that the team was in the dumpster and no one really knew what to do with it. <laughs> and it, it just seems like it's one thing after another. And there's, there's an obvious disconnect between the Sens, their management and the organization and the fans. And a lot of that stems from Eugene Melnick and, and 
specifically his timing. I mean, if, if he were an owner that just did things behind the scenes and didn't go to the media quite as often, I don't think there would be this same animosity uh, in among the fan base, but he is very vocal and he always has been. And that's something that I think Sans, Sans fans, a lot of Sans fans anyway, are growing very tired of. Mm. And uh, there's still, even as we talk about the positivity of signing Thomas Shabbat and all the young prospects that they have to look forward to, there's still a lot of anger among this fan base uh, directed at Eugene Melnick. And sure. I don't think, I don't think any amount of winning is going to change that. Unfortunately, I, mm. I think the best thing for Melnick, and we've said this for a while, so I don't think he's going to do it, but the best thing for Melnick is just to, to not make himself as prominent in the media for a while. Mm. Let the team, for, let the team develop, let the team continue to, to make it its way through the rebuild um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, anyway, aside from some news stories about an airplane and a casino, um, he seems <laughs> to at least be be laying low, and it's been quieter. Um, but uh, it's it's certainly a, an interesting point for Suns fans because th- there's no, it's al- it's almost hard to explain because a lot of fans there's there's such different feelings in and amongst the fan base. There's a lot of anger in in one you know, subset of the fan base. There's a lot of indifference in others. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. fans don't care about owners. And I think in some cases, that's kind of the way it should be. It's nice when you don't talk about owners as much. Right. Because it can kind of make, it muddy the, muddies the waters a little bit. And, you know, sparks conversation about finances instead of play on the ice. But um, it's, uh, eccentric is a really great way to put it. And uh, it's certainly <laughs> a very interesting relationship that Melnick has with uh, with the Ottawa Senators fans right now. Yeah, I mean, he's he's so just bizarre to me. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned, you know, a lot like you, you want your owner to kind of be in the background, right? Like, let me ask you a question. You might know this just because you're you're obviously involved in the sport. But Francesco Aquilini, who does he own? Oh, my goodness. That's the thing, know. right? Because I didn't know either <laughs> because I picked a franchise that's usually pretty decent, right? has a good track record and whose owner I had, I could not pick out of a lineup. He owns the Vancouver Canucks. And I think Canucks fans don't mind at all that he's their owner because he's just not in the media. And I think you could probably do that with a dozen more guys and credit to Terry Pagula. He, he stayed relatively out of the media, but, but when he does, you know, make an appearance, man, do we dissect every single word that that guy says? And it almost seems like less is more in that regard. And I think you hit the nail absolutely on the head. Um, one of the things I got to ask you, though, about Melnick and, and kind of the whole situation in Ottawa, because as a Sabres fan and as a fan of Buffalo sports in general, both of our professional teams have had the looming threat of relocation kind of hanging over our heads. That wasn't until Terry Pagula bought both the Bills and the Sabres, right? And he made that commitment that hey well, I'm keeping them here forever I'm a billionaire I can do that whatever the purse strings are no longer tight as they were under Mr. Galasano are you concerned at all with the threat of relocation because of Melnick's kind of loose cannon demeanor his potential to sell the team to potentially the highest bidder what are your thoughts on that where, where does the fan psyche stand in that regard so I think I'll, I'll speak for myself and then I'll try to, to get in the mindset of, of the average Ottawa Senators fan. And sure. from my perspective, I mean, I'm, I'm just afraid of everything uh, <laughs> and I'm always assuming the worst. So, you know, has, has the threat of relocation crossed my mind as a fan? Absolutely. And uh, Like I, I alluded to earlier, Ottawa is often painted as this not so desirable destination for free agents, mm-hmm. smaller market team, they were criticized for not having, not selling out playoff games a couple of years ago. Like there's always been this, uh, you know, people don't think that we deserve to be here kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what I've picked up on at times. And, and so it's, it's crossed my mind. And, and is it scary? Absolutely. I, I think losing this team would be awful to the city. I don't, the logical side of me says that it is not a real threat. I think that the NH, I don't think the NHL would allow it. Uh, The last thing Gary Bettman wants is another Canadian city leaving under his watch. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I know that they've been rumored to go to Quebec city at times, but like, I I don't think that Gary Bettman wants to be at the helm when another Canadian city can't sustain an NHL team. And I, and I don't think that, that that's the case. I think that, um, you know, Ottawa is unfortunately, it's a government town and it's Mm -hmm. going to be, even with the Red Blacks, our CFL team, 
it's not, it's not ever going to be a city that necessarily sells out every game. That's just the reality of the market we're in, but the Sens are deeply ingrained in this city. And I, and I think that, you know, that it would take a lot, a lot to, for the an actual threat of, of them moving. And I, and I genuinely, my gut says that it's, it's not, um, a viable threat at this point. Now, in terms of the average sense fan, I, th- I think that there's there's a there's a mix, right? Like I said earlier, mm-hmm. in terms of the opinions of Eugene Melnick, and then there's also a mix in terms of their opinions on the th- threat of relocation or or the likelihood of him selling. You know, there's there's just so much unknown among the fan base right now that I don't think it's certainly something that would that is scary to sense fans because it's talked about probably more often than any fan wants to hear about their team. Uh, but I, I don't think it's a genuine threat at this time. The, the city has seen teams leave before in other sports. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm referencing the Canadian Football League, which I know might not mean a lot <laughs> to, to most of your listeners. But, you know, this, this team, the city has seen teams leave there. And it, it was obvious for years before mm-hmm. it happened that this was inevitable. And there's there's nothing of that sort with the Ottawa Senators. So I think a lot of it is is overblown a little bit in the media at times and I think just with you know when Eugene Melnick makes comments like he did it's it's hard to not think about the threat but Mm -hmm. I don't think it's something that would realistically happen now I really hope that this clip isn't isolated one day when I turn out to be wrong (laughs) but uh, I'm, I'm you know the logical side of me says that it's it's very unlikely that's good to hear and and as someone who has essentially spent the better part of their life loving their team, but also knowing that there's a very real threat of relocation. I'll be honest. I thought the bills were a hundred percent getting relocated. I I was not optimistic. Then Harry Pagula kind of came in at the 11th hour and was like, I'm not going to let it happen. You rust belt jerks, but you know, (laughs) but I I always empathize and, you know, a couple teams in the NFL have moved recently and it just like, I feel that pain a little bit on their behalf. So I'm glad to hear that it's not an imminent threat at the moment. So that's a good thing. That's at least my, my gut feeling who, again, who knows I could be, I, I'm, I'm wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap this up by talking about probably aside from your guys, most recent uh, Eastern conference final run, the most recent really fond memory of the, Saber sense rivalry and really probably just as a whole their their situations 0506 and 0607 it was buffalo and ottawa jockeying at the top of that division do you have a memory from that time or, or something that that just st- stands out to you because that was that's like that that's my defining time period as a fan you know i was just starting high school and you know, the Sabres were finally good again. And, and, oh man, you know, we were really terrible leading up to that lockout and our owners got arrested and a lot of stuff happened. And that was just a really cool time for me. Talk to me a little bit about that run. Well, I, uh, I echo your sentiment because that was also a pretty defining time for me as a fan. I was in late high school. I think I was grade 11 in 0506 and grade 12 in 0607. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like where you really start to dig deep on the research yeah. and, you, and you're, you're watching highlights. And, and it was, um, th- those were such, I, it's funny cause I talk about the Sens rivalry with the Leafs and growing up, I, I didn't hate any team as much as I hated the Leafs, but then the Sabres came in and we kept meeting them in the playoffs. And I started to develop, a, you know, the rivalry kind of started to, mm-hmm. to develop between these two teams. And I think it, it's funny, the defining moment, I have no idea why, but this one moment stands out in the conference finals of uh, 07. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was game two and it, it went to overtime and Joe Corvo scored to make it to, to win the game for Ottawa and to make it two nothing on the series. And I know that, you know, a, a two nothing game on a series, it doesn't seem that meaningful, but in the moment, I mean, I, I just had flashbacks. No, no series scared me until we got to the conference finals and the Sabres were our our opponents mm-hmm. because they had eliminated the Sens the year before, right? So I yeah. the second that, that we met the Sabers, I was just like, oh no, it's over. And then in game two, when when Joe Corvo scored in overtime, it was like the, the biggest sigh of relief, and you just felt like nothing could stop this team. It was just an unbelievable run, and all of a sudden the Sabers were less scary. Um, mm-hmm. And I know it was such an insignificant moment in the grand scheme of things, but for some reason that really stands out to me. 
Well, no, it's not that it's not insignificant because I'm going to tell you something. They, they they went up against a President Trophy winning team and they took both games on the road to start that's the series. The I mean, yeah, that's that's huge. That, I mean, that's think, just it. think about if that goes the other way, right? I mean, then you've ignited a team like the Sabres who I think, oh man, I forget the exact number, but I want to say they had, mm, I think the number was 14 comebacks either in the third, you know, the third period to force overtime and win a game or, or win it outright in the third that season, 14 times. So, I mean, that's a team that was never out of a game and, and to, to really just hit them in the gut like that. No, that's, that, that's a very great defining moment. For me, it was the year before that, and I think it's probably one of the least favorable memories in Senators history when rookie Jason Pominville just deked Daniel Alfredson out of his shoes and then scored on Ray Emery to take the series in overtime shorthanded. That is probably the best moment for most Sabres fans my age from that I, time period. I can imagine so, and I will tell you that the moment that happened, I turned off my TV and went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> We, we we had a we had a similar uh, reaction. Mine was just three weeks, or maybe less than that, a week and a half later, when uh, the Sabers allowed three goals in the third period in Game Seven against Carolina to go nice. play the Edmonton Oilers without Dwayne Rollison. In what will probably be the most underwhelming Stanley Cup Final of all time. <laughs> Honestly, uh, well, this has been awesome, Michaela. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been Michaela Schreider. You can follow her on Twitter, and you absolutely should. Her handle is at Schreides. That's at capital, capital S-C-H-R-E-I-D-S. Listen to her on TSN 1200 because her show, That's What She Said, is fantastic. Michaela, thank you so much again. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. This has been episode five of the Beyond the Blade Around the Atlantic miniseries. Catch episode six, which we will be recording this Sunday. And I'll give you a little hint, just a little hint, as to which team we'll be covering next. Obviously, it's a 50-50 shot. We've only not covered Tampa Bay and Toronto at this point. But bring your rakes with you. See you later. Thank you.